नमस्ते टुडे वी हैव नितिन श्रीधर हियर फॉर दिस रीजन टॉक ऑन मैंस्ट्रुएशन प्रैक्टिस इन हिंदू कल्चर एंड द हिंदू पॉइंट ऑफ व्यू ऑफ मैंस्ट्रुएशन एंड सो वी हैव सम टाइम बिफोर द टॉक सो वी थॉट दैट वी विल हैव अ वन ऑन वन एक्चुअली टू ऑन वन कॉन्वर्सेशन विद हिम एंड टेक दिस ऑपरचुनिटी टू टॉक अबाउट हिज बुक एंड हिज वर्क and uh, all the things all the articles that he's written the ideas that he has discussed uh, in these years that he's been active on the social media and otherwise um, so welcome nitin and uh, welcome to delhi first of all thank you and we hope uh, we hope you had a good flight and all yes it was good great so uh, so let's just get started straight with your book uh, musings on hinduism tell us why you wrote the book and what really prompted you to get Uh, well it was not written as a book it's basically a collection of my writings uh, from 2007 and 2013 and um, i have always loved writing but my basic you know impelling force behind it is to share knowledge and uh, to share you know certain truths some things related especially to dharma dharmic aspect and uh, Uh, the, um, these have been the impelling force for me to write so whenever i um, discovered something i read i understood something i put it a short blog or something or sometimes uh, there was some issue and uh, i was inspired you know i thought this is wrong this this narrative is wrong and then i thought let me write an alternate version let me write a correct that and then i wrote a, some researched article and published it some website some portal news portal newspaper something and um, much of the part of this uh, you know musings uh, on hinduism a uh, first section at least it reflects my own spiritual journey in some sense uh, my own discovery of uh, advaita vedanta and uh, i i had always you know slightly tilt towards the tantric uh, shakta advaita but uh, i had some questions on um, Ad- shankara's advaita vedanta so in 2012 2013 um, i saw a series of videos um, lectures of uh, shringeri shankaracharya bharatiya swamigal which cleared my you know some uh, basic uh, uh, confusions so as a result of that i wrote a, some four five articles uh, titled two paths of life two ways of reality um, two ways of performing action two sides of uh, you know creation maya and leela so these are this form the very core of the book and then there are a whole section on vedanta where i try to you know they were all small short pieces posted on facebook posted on blogs and basically it was a very uh, due to some discussion it was some impelling thing i simply wrote it Uh, spontaneously so finally i thought i should collect it because though it was re- uh, all of them were unconnected they all had a running theme on hindu philosophy uh, vedanta hindu society i wrote a series of piece on the dharma on uh, on the what ails hindu society and uh, my translations and commentary uh, there is one nirvana shatkam shankara on which i have written commentary there is a english translation of saraswati astotra which i d- did with my wife and uh, there are some certain other things so i thought we should be put together so that you know a new reader uh, could uh, you know have a good overview of various aspects the diversity of uh, sanatan dharma so you mentioned that you moved 
I don't know if I'm correct in interpreting it this way, but you, it seemed that you said that you moved from the Shakta Advaita to Shankara's version. Uh, what is the essential difference in your opinion? Uh, now I say there is no difference. It is simply a difference of uh, um, reference plane, I will say. From in the Shakta Advaita or in the Shaktism, the Tantra, the Advaita is purely, it, it's basically believes in the Parinamavada. I mean, you know, the, the ultimate reality, the, the Brahman or Shakti, it itself transforms into the universe. Whereas the uh, Shankara's argument is that it cannot be real transformation because once the milk uh, becomes a curd, it no longer remains milk. But Brahman is Nirguna Nirakara, it remains Brahman even after manifesting as Shristi. So this means that the transformation is vivarta, its appearance. Just like, you know, when Krishna manifested that, you know, Draupadi Vastra Haranadhan, he manifested a sari. We cannot say from which uh, factory he manufactured that sari or did his hands become a sari, did his legs become a sari. Because his hands, legs were there, still he manifested a sari out of, it is anirvichaniya, beyond our speech. It was an appearance, the sari manifested, we can see it. But still, it is not a real transformation. Krishna did not himself become a sadi, right? So this is what is Vivartavada. So, so this key understanding, so from the standpoint, there is a very good saying uh, in the tradition, from the standpoint of Maya, you can say that Maya transforms Parinama, real transformation into the world. But from the standpoint of Brahman, it is Vivarta itself. So it is not actually, there is a difference of opinion. It is it's a Prakriya Veda and it is a matter of from which reference point you are perceiving a certain phenomenon. Absolutely, because you are talking about things which are beyond speech anyway. Yes. So how you are talking about it actually doesn't make a difference to the... Yes, it is it, it, addressed to different audience. So for some person it, it becomes very impossible to conceive uh, that you know Aham Brahmasmi. For them it is said there is a Srishti, there is a Jiva, there is a Ishwara. Because that is a Vyavaharika reality, the transactional universe, we see the universe, you are separate from me, I am separate from you and there is some Ishwara the, the, who creates, who manifests the universe, uh, who destroys the universe, that is there. So, so it's a difference of audience, the competency of audience, to which audience it is uh, being referred to. Uh, this is, um, you know, from and I'll switch to actually Abrahamic religions, if you like. This whole idea of in Islam, for example, that the creator and created are two separate things. Um, the creator, I, I don't really have a question, but an observation here. It's, it's a very powerful narrative. There is only one God. There can be no other two gods, whatever, all of that, right? Uh, and, and the narrative is that the creator and created, creator and created cannot be the same. But it is actually an absurd idea because as if the creator created something outside of the creator. Yes, I mean, correct? Yes, uh, yes, definitely. On the one hand, it is hold that God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and on the other hand, they say creator is different from creation. It it makes no sense. It makes not logical because uh, 
you are saying the god is transcendent that is fine but he is not also equally immanent then he cannot be omnipresent he cannot be omnipotent right so, uh, so that is the, that is a serious difference between the dharmic tradition between hindu dharma sanatana dharma which perceives brahman as both transcendent as well as immanent in fact uh, in the gita and in the upanishads there, there, there sometimes it speaks of you know para and apara brahman Apara is the lower Brahman, that immanent aspect, and the Para is the higher, the transcendent aspect. It is the Brahman itself, with Saguna, Nirguna. And there is also a three-way classification also in our Hindu tradition, which is Kshara, Akshara, and Uttama, in the, in the Gita it is said. So, uh, this the creator and creation, if it is separate, then creator uh, then we have to ask the question, who is the creator of this creator at all? Yeah. Because if this, and, and the, so you cannot say creator is omnipresent, omnipotent and uh, always present, eternal and then say there is a creation which is separate from in somehow uh, ex nihilio it was created. This is ex nihilio is uh, something similar to Arambhavada which is not uh, uh, accepted in, in any of the Hindu tradition that something was created out of nothing. We don't accept it because it is not logically sound. We have to have a cause for the effect. There should be a material cause, there should be efficient cause. Upadana karana, nimitta karana. We say that Brahman itself is upadana and nimitta. They say that God is efficient, intelligent cause, but there is no material cause. It is from nothing. So there is this fundamental difference. But uh, one interesting thing I discovered recently, I was studying Judaism which is source of you know the Abrahamic system I was studying Judaism in context of menstruation actually so in the Judaistic spiritual uh, interpretation of Kabbalic and uh, uh, Chesitic uh, traditions it is interesting they, they have a concept uh, there is a one is the infinite transcendent aspect I forgot the exact term they use uh, in the Kabbalic and these traditions, they also have 10 sephirot or something if I got the name correctly, which is the imminent aspects. They are present in the manifestation in various aspects of this manifestation. So this is this has some parallel, not entirely identical, but some parallel of some notion that there is a transcendent, but there is also an imminent aspect. There is some recognition. But of course, this remains to be explored. It is, it is different from us. But this shows there is a seed. There was a seed of this even in some spiritual traditions in Abrahamic. But th that was a minority, you can say, because I don't think Islam or Christianity as such uh, entertained this idea. Although I've read a book, I forget this author's name, uh, some IS officer or IF, IF, IFS officer. Uh, the book is called In Search of Oneness, and it's from an Islamic perspective. And it covers Al-Halaj, Rumi, and a whole series of Islamic scholars, and actually talks about, uh, uh, you know, how the idea of that everything is one is also infused in Islam, except that it cannot be spoken, because somebody who's not evolved enough would come and cut even Muhammad's tongue. There is a saying that he would cut my tongue if I were to speak of that transcendental truth. Something like that, you know. It's in, and I believe it's that that tradition carries forward in Sufi traditions. I've heard. There are many elements of uh, pre-Islamic paganism in Islam which survived and which eventually got thwarted because of the politics around it. 
like even the uh, even this the tradition of Hajj. <coughs> Circumambulation. So that's also a pagan tradition. Yeah, yeah. I think this one God, that there needs to be some understanding perspective here. See, we also say one God. Yes, exactly the point. I can quote you, you know, Upanishad speaking, Ekam. But the point is, the, the different of understanding arises because they consider one to be numerical one. We consider one as infinity. Ananta. But even here, interestingly, this Kabbalah that I spoke about, the transcendental aspect, the name given there, means infinite. Yet, yet somehow, this Abrahamic tradition, they have maintained that God is separate, this is separate, and they have often taken this one in a very limited, very numerical sense. And even to, in Indian tradition, who is great, Vishnu, Shiva, Somehow deep down that one it's infinity. Why it is saying infinity? There cannot be two infinity. Purnamada Purnamada, you minus, you add infinity remains infinity, right? So Ekam means that infinity is one. There cannot be two infinity. So whatever it is, whatever there is, that is Brahman, whatever name you call it. So there is transcendent, imminent, everything that is there is Brahman. That tat. That is the ultimate thing. You cannot name it. You cannot call it Tat. But uh, this cannot be used against our Murti Puja. I am bringing it here because uh, this is an argument. I, I, I keep seeing the Zakir Naik followers and other, especially the Islam uh, followers saying, See, your Hinduism, Rigveda, etc. say, Natasya Pratima Asti. So you cannot uh, worship an image. I think that is pure nonsense. Because it doesn't, they don't understand the context of that. What they are saying is, the context is different, that it's saying that there is no image, that image is not the literal image what they are saying. It, they are saying that ultimately, the, the, it is transcendental, there is no duality. There is no duality in Brahman. There cannot be duality because it is infinite. But be, owing to its infinity, it, man, it can manifest in infinite number of forms, infinite number of Nama and Rupa. Because it is infinite, it can manifest in infinite number of forms and uh, names. So this is the... So Nath Pratima Asti does not mean you cannot... For worship, you cannot consider something. It may be a, just this tree as a symbol, as a Pratima, as an image for worshipping that one which is beyond the symbol. And I think that that word is important. The Pratima. Very difficult to explain. It is not an idol, idol, right? I mean, the way they say idol worship. Pratima is different. If you can actually reflect on the Orashish, if you can, you know, maybe make a conversation out of it. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the, uh, the basic uh, difference in approach is idol, you know, it's just, it's, it's a matter of cognition. It's the way they think about things around us. Like we were discussing the immanence principle that you know uh, the Brahman is also what we see around us which is not the case with for whatever reasons is not the case with Abrahamic faiths so when we talk about Murti Puja we are actually thinking of everything around us as as Brahman and as infused with the same Shakti that we are in different ways right 
you know like you could even extend it to say that you know everything is energy and everything is you know it's a manifest even mass is energy so that is something which is deeply infused in our culture while uh, when they talk about it they look at they look at external reality as a separate piece of existence you know it's i am alive and this is dead which is not the case ours is a case of gradation of consciousness yeah and and interestingly this term murti if i am not wrong i had read long back it it has a meaning of a sharira body the murta it it, it has a meaning of a sharira so what it is saying that we are and add to it the fact that we do a prana pratishthapana of a murti only then it becomes a murti Right? Can you explain that, please? The prana pratishta process and what happens? Yes. See. Uh, yes. Uh, so basically, one thing is isha vasam idam sarvam. Brahman is present everywhere, but there are two aspects. One is vyakta and another is avyakta. So, for example, if you take any stone simply lying here, there is Brahman there, but it is in a avyakta, non-manifest condition. So you cannot use it for a puja. because it is brahman is in a non manifest condition so what makes a stone or what any element wood or anything worthy of worship is when you make that avyakta avyakta that is non manifest uh, reality into a manifested name and form how do you do it you do it by this procedure of prana pratishthapana prana means the living force pratishthapana means establishing it so this by using mantras etc we give it the prana to that murti and it becomes a murti so then that murti is the abode is the body of the energy and the essence that comes and inhabits that murti so there are two elements this temple is not just a place of congregation like a synagogue or a a church etc this is a kshetra we call it kshetra kshetra is a place of energy this is a center of energy shakti peetha like we say it is a center of energy wherein that energy either naturally manifests like in swayambhuru linga etc or it has been ritualistically infused with energy so there are two aspects one is the essence of the deity which is established there but essence is again non manifest you cannot capture the essence but you can feel the energy this essence manifest as prana shakti as the shakti in the external world so one of my facebook friend and a yoga yogi rohit arya few years few months back posted a you know interesting point that you have this nandi or garuda stamba some some mark in different temples this actually marks as a barrier of the shakti you can he says if, if with somebody who has certain sadhana and certain subtle understanding he can sense a difference in energy beyond that place of the uh, nandi or the garuda stamba and after entering it so that is what the influence of kshetra the deity has a, a layer of influence you can consider it as a concentric circle diameter of circumference of influence so the uh, the highest concentration of that energy is in the uh, garbhakudi garbhagraha right so that is why only a certain people with certain shaucha and certain ritualistic uh, requirement can enter it not everybody can enter it this is not a discrimination so and as you move away from it the energy decreases 
and uh, this uh, this uh, this marks the nandi etc marks the area of higher concentration of energy but this energy can move you know forward to much beyond that also but the we can feel it the concentration inside that so the prana pratishtapana is a very important procedure because that is what makes it a kshetra that is what it makes it we are actually worshiping not the stone but stone becomes the body and abode the temple is the house of the deity so we worship the deity we have the darshana we do not have the concept we don't simply go there to talk with each other we go there to have a darshan of the deity just a glimpse of the face that the eyes is enough because in that darshana there is a transmission of energy so yeah actually the in the worship the the idea is to uh, in in isha uh, as far as i have understood you know you the shivalinga if you go in the circumference or you sit inside the 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 temple the shivalinga temple uh, the idea is to of sitting in a temple is to absorb the energy of the and rather than yes. than worshiping the Yes, it, the worshiping itself is a, that 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 process. What is puja? In one of the tantric texts, it says puja is surrendering such that you ultimately attain the aikya, unity with the deity. The advaita is the ultimate thing. The namaskar, just take the simple term namaskara. Uh, uh the, the the meaning here is i i read in a book um, by subramaiya ji he has written a fantastic study on dakshinavarti so he says the namaskara starts with um, sashtanga pramana uh, the pranama sorry sashtanga pranama the the full flesh uh, namaskara but it ends with aikya unity with brahman the sayuja the end moksha is the ultimate thing so namaskara the simple single, single word has a gradation of meaning starting with the duality and a full fledged namaskara into the highest namaskara that is aikya moksha so this this is the depth of uh, one of the other contrasts that we can draw between abrahamic and uh, dharmic traditions is the way in which we interact with the universe and by universe i mean the devi devtas and we are free to establish our own relationship with with the deity uh, according to the nature of the deity uh, so it's not free for all it's not in the sense that you can you know you can treat a dev- devi or a devta in whatever way you want but which is also in accordance with their nature yes and which which makes us more aware of how we deal with you know the different types of the infinite manifestations the infinite expressions of the universe which is Unless not you are an agori you cannot uh, treat the deity as as you like <laughs> no the see the as you like the the bhav that you express with the deity like for example if you were to do a sadhana of ganesh so you can treat ganesh as a as a friend you can treat ganesh uh, like sri ramakrishna he treated uh, i mean you have the concept of ram lalla right yes. so you treat him like your child it's a vatsalya bhav you can even treat you can even become a hanuman and you know surrender so there is different ways of expressing i'm not going into the agora aspects just to <laughs> for reducing the complexity of the argument but uh, there is which brings me to another point and which you have also written about and uh, your talk is also around the same thing is how we deal with nature how how we uh, interact with nature uh, 
and how we reconcile with the with the raw power of nature you know it's not just so that in the in the modern western tradition when you talk about anything uh, of nature you generally romanticize it or you talk about the beauty and you know so you see the you see the trees you see how beautiful it is how green it is and while at the same time you're destroying it so that hypocrisy has sort of become ingrained in modern culture but when you look at any ancient culture uh, you are very very well aware and you are very uh, conscious of the fact that nation that that nature has demonic forces and by demonic i need not necessarily mean demon i'm saying demonic as in it's amoral it can just destroy everything violent i would say it's violent yeah there's violence inbuilt i think uh, uh, that's a very important thing. and part of the and and part of that uh, that uh, interaction with nature or being aware of that fact is the difference in the attitude of the sexes you know when we talk about male and female when we talk about peace and war you know masculine and feminine so uh, cultures like hindu cultures a culture and other pagan cultures like which are now not non existent uh they had a very uh, profound understanding of the of the female side the the yin part uh, so to speak which is not there in the current modern culture and it is it has evolved to a point where it is no longer sustainable so when we talk about menstruation and you know these issues that you've talked about what is your take on the modern feminist uh you know political movement when they talk about you know equal rights equality for men and women they neglect gender differences in fact they deny general differences they say that it's a social construct and all that how do you i think you yeah. have already answered that question they deny something which is natural the differences forget gender let's take two persons me and you am i same as you no i have my own desires i have my own swabhava you know temperaments likes dislikes when two people of the same gender are different how can you say that two people of different gender are same so the sameness argument is fallacy what it has ended in the, the western um, feminazi movement i would say is this on one hand it is causing it is it has portrayed masculinization of women as a goal what you are saying this equality by equality what they mean is see men have been doing all these works 1 2 3 4 5 6 now you have to do all these works it doesn't matter whether they want to do it common people common women whether they want to do it or not want to do it whether they have even inclination to do it or not whether that work even has any positive effect on them or not See, they say men take alcohol, men smoke cigarettes. So you have to do it to show your freedom, your liberation. But the fact that the smoking and alcohol may be having adverse effect on men will also have adverse effect on women is completely missed. So there is one aspect is masculinization of women. But the second uh, aspect is also this. They also say this is a hypocrisy that. this is stake menstruation this is a women's topic who are you man to dictate me what we should do this is my body this is my life so what they, they want to construct you know they they to do consider misogyny or patriarchy as some bad they want to do the reverse of it 
where everything is you know men cannot speak about any so called women's topic and men cannot speak about their own topic because there is equality <laughs> so it, it's it, so it's causing violence on everybody it's causing violence on women themselves because what they are doing they are denying women their unique identity they are denying women their femininity their feminine nature their feminine uh, character they're denying them their own uh, you know what's good for them what's beneficial for them by portraying some artificial utopian idea it may be equality it may be masculine equality is just a name for masculinization of women i was reading about this uh, this concept of androgyny where males are asked to become like females you know psychologically become like females uh, because it's a man dominated world and all that and females are free to be whatever they want <laughs> so it's quite funny because if you have to arrive at something which is neutral then both of them have to move in <laughs> move in that direction but no 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 one side is free but you know so this is yeah this is a this is a very uh, common sensical argument that you make of course you know you can't deny these differences and you can't expect women to increasingly become like men and then then claim that we have a different identity which is scary because now with technology you could even go take this to the extent that because now now the, the idea is to use technology to actually completely shut off nature which is what basically the whole idea is you know this this business of keeping nature away and you know sanitizing everything is what is uh, where the world is headed see i i'll give you one example here in this country regarding nature in any older traditions you take greek rome even hindu i was speaking about hindu ways of menstruation today but in all these traditions you have concept of deities of menstruation in greek you have artemis in rome you have diana in egypt also you have everything but today what is menstruation it's just a biological activity it's i am on the rag i don't want to do it but i somehow it's my compulsion i cannot simply shut it off and in fact they have invented pills to shut it off so they are committing real violence is commit being committed here by opposing nature by opposing what is something to be celebrated what is something which is you know which is uh, uh, very nature nature order of things they are trying to upset this harmony by building a utopian concepts of equality they are doing it everything in the name of equality see i understand that in the western uh, christian uh, society there were some inequalities and there some you know the so called equality argument uh, had its role because there was a oppression or a suppression of women's role in christianity the, the whole tradition but today the equality argument has been so taken far away so to the extreme that it simply makes no sense it it simply denies diversity it destroys diversity so I, i think the logical conclusion to this what i was saying is that you will finally go for lobotomy and you know whatever is whatever controls the sexual urges you will you will go to such an extent that you will completely destroy any sexual expression that's where it is headed to you will have test tube babies <laughs> 
बिकॉज अल्टीमेटली दैट इज द इफ इफ यू टेक द पोलिटिकल फेमिनिस्ट मूवमेंट टू इट्स लॉजिकल कंक्लूजन दैट इज वेयर इट इज गोइंग टू बी नो दे डोंट नीड डिफ्रेंसिएशन दे डोंट नीड सेक्शुअल डिफ्रेंसिएशन मैन एंड वुमेन आर जस्ट नीड मैन वॉट दे is something i read i want to bring you back to uh, you know something that has troubled me I recently heard a talk by dr bharat gupta and then by dr shankar saran and this this difference between uh, dharma and religion just to give you a little maybe step back and give a little context here you know there are so many hundreds of sects within hinduism there are deras who have their own life there is brahma kumari is radha swami hundreds and thousands and you and i could form a sect tomorrow and with no objections within the framework of hinduism brahma kumari for example has this idea that shiva there is only one shiva and it's egg shaped and i had arguments at the mount abu um, uh, headquarters of brahma kumaris with the uh, you know sanyasis over there that why is it egg shaped and how do you know no it is egg shaped okay i'll take that there is some dogma in everything right only vishnu is the para brahma or shiva is the para brahma that's fine we can argue about it and all of that sex shaped or non sex shaped or it has no formless nirakar i found that actually islam if it were not to say that it is one separate than the purest of religions it could actually be i mean within the framework of hinduism it could simply be adopted one another one idea who anybody has would it not be and if if so then what is the difference between dharma and religion right so sanjeev sanyal for example talks about writes that it is self defeating to not say to say hinduism is a way of life and it is not a religion i take that point also because we are in a world where uh you know we cannot fight a battle which is asymmetric if to use the same language same terminology to uh, to survive to find our um identity if you like if we keep saying it's a way of life we will keep getting attacked by conversions and more proselytization and all of that so i think it's a good idea to protect i'm sorry my long question but lots of observations there so so I, i you made two important points one is difference between dharma and religion another is about you know assimilate the, the opposing forces of assimilation versus um, what is called inculturation and conversion so you, you basically ha so basically you have raised two important points so one is that dharma versus religion another is opposing forces between assimilation and inculturation or uh, conversions the firstly dharma and religion let us take the term religion usually it is understood as you know derived from the term i think latin term it is religere or something which means binding to unite so in the abrahamic interpretation the unity means there is a unity of goal as well as means there is one god one prophet one book one means for salvation so there is unity of means as well as the goal 
now let us presume let us take this meaning of go, uh, unity itself we also speak of unity but our unity is not in uh, both means and goal we say the goals may be same moksha but the means are hundreds there are different valid means but even the goal it is interesting that not all traditions define moksha in the same way there are gradations there it's we speak about three kinds of pralaya are there you know nitya pralaya naimitika pralaya atyantika pralaya prakriti pralaya so there is always a gradations but still if you say the ultimate atyantika pralaya it will include everything you may say so religion if you are defining purely from the abrahamic definition how they understand it then we cannot be a religion we are not a religion so when we are using it in a hindu indian context we all we use hindu religion this is a widely prevalent use we have accepted or not it is already in use but mostly we do not mean it in the abrahamic way in indians we have we shallow understanding yet in in a deep down we know ekam sat vipraha bahudha vadanti there is only unity in goal not in the path so even vivekananda etc use religion in that sense as a spirituality dharma on the other hand what is dharma dharayate iti dharma that which upholds the entire universe and all the individuals so it is not a faith it is not a belief sect it is ultimately what is dharma upliftment of everybody the order the whole universal order starting from the universal order ending with the upliftment or well being of everybody it is dharma so dharma is universal by its own very design you don't need a faith to make dharma universal so that that there lies the doctrinal difference in christianity or in islam you have a religious uh, obligation to convert everybody to convert the whole universe to that one true faith but we don't have a obligation we say everybody is everybody is dharmic as a hindu by by default you may choose to go away from it you may choose to call yourself a buddha jaina christian etc you may not be you may be born in a such a geographical condition like middle east or where dharma tradition has died out the pagans they were all manifestations of dharma right so but dharma is universal it is it was always remain universal because what is dharma refers to it is a eternal principles in a physical level you say gravity can be called as a dharma it's a manifest uh, swami dayanand saraswati of arsha vidyakula has uh, given a very interesting understanding of this in one of his public lectures he says in the physical laws of the universe is not just the laws it's a manifestation of brahman itself on the physical level so that is dharma similarly in ethical aspect the so called you know samanya dharma what is it it is a manifestation of brahman itself in that ethical uh, aspect so this is the basic difference between dharma and religion so this comes to the question of way of life i think though we can say hinduism is sanatan dharma actually we are sanatan hindu is a foreign term we have adopted it fine but we are sanatana dharma and we need to sometimes when we are doing self critic of our tradition we need to make a differentiate between hinduism and sanatan dharma sanatan dharma are the essential principles which is eternally valid 
Hinduism is the outer form you can say that has historically evolved and this outer form may have faults like with any institution it develops faults over years but this principle that structure but the structure is such that it is self-evaluating and self-modifying so the essence is very important and we need to recontextualize the principles and redevelop the the form the change the form according to that essential principles so when we say the way of life that comes from the radha krishnan he put it in a certain context to differentiate between a faith the essentiality of faith of belief in abrahamic religions and the essentiality of practice in sanatan dharma but uh, today it has been stretched and distorted everything is a way of life in this christian is a way of life right but dharma is a way of life yes but it is much more than that. dharma is eternal principles itself the sum total of everything it is brahman itself and secondly the assimilation you said uh, that yes it is true if the christianity islam etc they leave their intolerant aspect which is very core to them there have been attempts at which is about only my faith is true yes i i will not tolerate you is the basis but they cannot leave it because once they leave it they lose their essential identity itself right so there lies the problem there lies the root of all issues all the you know it's a completely different way of life one is life affirming one is ahimsa is the core samanya dharma and another is basically it's intolerant basically its core is i will not tolerate you i will not just tolerate i will not accept you i am alone correct so if you if you look at it in a i'm sorry if you have something else. so if you look at it from the point of view of interacting with nature so you look at the journey of humanity from the time of the hunter gatherers to the current technological era so you have these major landmarks that from hunter gatherer you became an agrarian society then you had the broadly speaking then you had the industrial revolution then you have the information technology so at each point uh, there is the struggle of controlling nature there is a struggle of dominating it and it is only in the current world it is only the hindu tradition uh, which has maintained an unbroken connect with the hori past where we all started from and so uh in that sense what hinduism does is that it respects that past and it respects the fact that you can never defeat nature while the others are more arrogant and every time there is something which mankind does which is in terms of achievement and isolates it from the universe from from the nature then it sort of tries to deny that past and say that no now we have started afresh and this is how we are so that is reflected in this tolerant versus the intolerant attitude it is it is in simple terms a way of uh, being aware of the indomitable or or the undefeatable spirit of nature to to add to that the very concept of dharma its roots in the rigveda it's the term is rita rita is 
order, cosmic order. So we are not only aligning ourselves to our immediate nature, but also to the cos cosmos itself. Yeah. And, and that reflects in all our sankalpa. Any puja, anything, sankalpa starts with the whole thing, the where it is, which manvantara, which kalpa, which manvantara, which uh, geographical area. So there is whole thing, why it is said, for whom it is said. See, it is locating our place in this whole universe, recognizing that I am inseparable part of this universe and howsoever small I may be, I am inevitable, I, am, I have an important role for the order, for the harmony in the whole universe. So this is the real Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, when you talk about, this is a very important point, when you talk about Marxism, Marxism is a religion of its own and everything that they say is by focusing on this social reality which is so narrow. I mean, if you look at the universe and then you compare uh, the reality that Marxists talk about, it is not even microscopic. It is nowhere, you know, when you, the scale, when you consider the scale of the universe. So denying the cosmic dimension, denying the natural is part of any intolerant faith, which I think would make a distinction with Hinduism very sad that recently read that uh, Stephen Hawking is actually saying that in 100 years the earth will be unlivable so it's imperative we have to start looking elsewhere which actually is a very yeah. <laughs> shameless idea in some ways but yeah let's not go there but so um, to come back to you know or, or connect this whole point with uh, I recently you know was thinking you know, who is, what is it to be Indian? What does it mean to be a Bharatiya? How is it different from being a, a Pakistan or a Bangladesh or a Russia or China or US or whatever? And uh, so, so, you know, there is this idea that the, the, the essential nature of what it is to be Indian is, or Bharatiya is its central foundation. Its foundation lies on Sanatan Dharma. Um, the question that is then running in my mind and I tweeted about it that India has to decide who it wants to be and based on who it chooses to be uh, it, it must decide it actually its constitution or so I want to basically come to the point of uh, secularism and Dr. Bharat Gup says very beautifully in his talk he says we have to move away from nirapeksha to Sapeksha. And so if you could reflect on. I think as far as um, secularism is concerned, it's a western construct or there's a western concern which has been artificially imported and imposed superficially on the Indian society. The problem today what we find is very simple. In the pre-colonial condition, we were a medieval society. We were, had our own society, our own things. While the different countries, many of them through wars, yes, but there was a natural evolution into a modern 21st century. In India, there is no evolution, there is a break, there is a colonial imposed break where all our Sanskrit, uh, all our indigenous education systems were brutally shut down, brutally killed, I would say killed practically, except in few uh, issues. 
and english education the western ideas were superficially imposed forcefully imposed 200 years back 300 years back nobody would do an history centric analysis of mahabharata saying which part of mahabharata came first which part of mahabharata came later nobody would say rigveda had for 10 layers this come uh, this came in 5000 bc that came in 3000 bc it simply makes no sense vedas are aporishaya right so but today we are doing it even the scholars even sometimes even in my writing i have to despite my own personal disinclination towards historical analysis of any of our texts i have to sometimes mention this text is supposedly 2000 years old this is a majburi i can say right so indian society was not allowed to evolve into 21st century it may be our constitution it may be our education every system we are still colonized so this secularism is again the same product so it's not about nirapeksha sapeksha at all what we need is a society based on dharma shastra people don't like the term dharma shastra they think dharma shastra means medieval outdated thing of course i am not saying that dharma shastra shruti shruti etc what it is they provide basic guidelines they do not say society has to be this and that a b c d no what they say they provide guideline when parashara smriti for example written specifically for kali yuga you have some special uh, overview what we need to do is to contextualize the teachings to today's time that was happening until the coming of the british and colonialization right so we were not allowed to naturally evolve into today's society but now today's the society has changed lot of things have happened so it it may not be very easy to evolve with dharmic society or dharma shastra based society today because at first place we do not have a running dharma shastra tradition today still we have vedanta tradition we have advaita tradition we have the shri vaishnava tradition all this have survived but dharma shastra tradition there is no tradition there are few scholars here and there it is no tradition right first we have to revive that tradition first we have to you know have some people who have in and out understanding of the tradition and also a sound understanding of today's issues and then contextualize our teachings to today's issues for example in my series on abortion i try to do it in a very limited level i spoke about the whole theory aspect of abortion what it says in the tradition but the second part of the work which is pending is to arrive at a practical uh, guidelines based on that theory theory is something but practical guidelines is something else right so this needs to be done so it's not about sapeksha nirapeksha i think uh, sapeksha means what it's not i mean not the dharma state sapeksha, as in yes. saying that so nirapeksha is like excluding dharma dharma sapeksha yeah. yeah and it's it's actually quoted from the separation of church and religion or or church controlling 
is that we should have and it's a very practical uh, advice that he gives he says that we should have in schools all religions all are being taught which is a good idea but you will see that uh, the opposition for that will come from the minorities <laughs> because they know that you know if everything is talked about openly then people will choose the best <laughs> yes <laughs> and therefore it will be a problem for them so so that brings us to the point of freedom of expression if there is free speech we know who will be in trouble therefore there are restrictions on free speech absolutely yeah so i mean i mean for hindus i think instead of actually trying to bring a change in laws uh, there is it's more pragmatic to actually go for these cultural aspects cultural changes and stand for these democratic values which will naturally bring uh, you know which will naturally benefit uh, india as a whole uh, without without being partial about you know this community or that community now before you know thinking about constitution laws etc we need first have a narrative or an alternative narrative on the dharmic narrative on all the issues currently there mm abortion mm menstruation if anything oh, even in caste. fact in fact i mean if you remove like you said if you remove these uh, anti hindu legislations and anti hindu acts in the constitution uh, then what remains of the constitution is secular as well as in line with dharma there is nothing which is you know which is specifically or particularly anti hindu in the constitution yeah i agree it's not about so article 25 to 30 is where the problem supposedly starts but and that's basically just discriminatory if you yeah, look at the discriminatory part then yeah but would would i mean should the government actually not participate at all in religion or actually should it start participating in is, in dharma is is really the question that, that comes to a, my mind that is a, that is a question that the whole globe is wrestling with even in europe they don't know if if secularism should be a neutral secularism which has nothing to do with religion or a positive secularism where you actually try and encourage all religions to express themselves or a negative secularism where you know you uh, france yeah everything is yeah so secular. i mean there are these different types of secularism we haven't even gone into that debate because uh, you just talk this this has become a taboo topic <laughs> you don't talk about secularism because it's politically incorrect but the fact is that secularism is such a complex idea and the other thing is that secularism has failed in the west also if you look at europe with the immigration crisis with other communities coming in and their obsession with multiculturalism secularism is already failing so i think what we need to do is to evolve as i said again dharmic narrative of the ruler the constitution the government everything I mean instead of you know simply maybe the outcome will be maybe similar to some aspects of secularism in some aspects of governance that we will not discriminate on some issues based on who the religion is will be the law will be same in some aspects but the basis of this should be sound dharma 
not on some ideology of secularism because by ideology by definition means it is limited and when applied to wrong places it will give wrong results but the idea of dharma is it uplifts everything so this is abstractly i am saying what we need to derive is to derive concrete uh, ideas concrete uh, narrative from these abstract ideas so thank you very much and uh, i think now we'll go for the talk we wish we could have continued for longer but i think we'll have many more opportunities <laughs> <with that. laughs> but it was good one yeah. <laughs>